From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Xi Jinping's ambitions for China are paranoid and expansionist. His mindset mirrors that of the guerrilla fighters in the Chinese Civil War. Peter Harcher on how understanding this history helps us understand Australia's relationship with China now. So, Peter, let's start with Xi Jinping. What do we know about his life up to the point of becoming the president of the People's Republic of China? He had a good start. He was born in 1953, which makes him almost as old as modern China itself, uh, within four years of the very beginning of the foundation of the People's Republic. Peter Harcher is the political and international editor at the Sydney Morning Herald. He's also the author of the latest quarterly essay, Red Flag, Waking Up to China's Challenge. His dad was one of the original revolutionaries on the Long March, a close ally of Mao Zedong, the founder of modern China and the leader of the revolution. Now, that means that Xi Jinping was automatically, when he was born, became one of the so-called Red Princelings, a child of one of the original revolutionary greats. While that meant his dad was very close to Chairman Mao, the great helmsman, as he later came to be named, it's a dangerous place to be close to Mao as well as a privileged one. And uh, later on, during the Cultural Revolution, that mayhem and madness where essentially everything was torn up. It was on this day in 1966 that Mao Zedong began China's Cultural Revolution. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed as the country transformed itself over the course of a decade. Mao called for the cleansing... Schools of- and universities were cancelled and... The students were ordered to go and uh, question and punish their teachers. Those who heeded Mao Zedong's call for revolution would make up the Red Guards, groups of youths that targeted political enemies. To cement his grip on power, Mao would go on to purge the Communist Party, relying on millions of young people for support. During all that chaos, Xi Jinping's dad was purged, sent to work in the countryside in a factory and later he was jailed for four or five years and the young Xi Jinping he didn't do so well out of that either he was sent to live in a cave in the countryside he had steady work he was a local communist party secretary but it still wasn't exactly the luxury that he'd grown up with because until that point he and his family were living in the leadership compound in Beijing the red-walled Zhongnan High which nobody's ever seen the inside of, unless, of course, you're a leader of of China. He tried to escape from his fate in the countryside. He was captured and sent back into the countryside. He spent years digging ditches and doing other undignified things. During all this cultural revolution uh, mayhem, one of his sisters was murdered, actually, by the Red Guards, ransacking his family home. Now, all of this experience, you'd think, Elizabeth, would send someone one way or the other. You'd either be appalled at the abuse of power, at the loss of freedom in a system where the whim of the man at the top is the only thing that matters and there is no such thing as human freedom or human rights, and that he would work to to try and create a sense of liberty in China. Or you'd think he'd go the other way and say, well, hang on, this is... um, This isn't so good being on the receiving end of all this power. I'd like to be on the dispensing end of it instead. And that's the course he chose. 
He worked with the party, uh, he worked his way up through the party, and he did everything right until finally... I announced that... When China was searching for its next leader... Comrade Xi Jinping is elected. He became the compromise candidate between the founding great family cliques and factions in China and emerged on top. President of the People's Republic of China. So, Peter, when he was made president, what was the general impression of Xi Jinping? We didn't know much about his full character. We knew that he'd been an efficient and effective party secretary and he'd run uh, some of China's provinces and had a number of jobs where he was quite effective. He showed some enthusiasm for anti-corruption campaigns, which marked him up in the party hierarchy. Apart from that, not a lot was known. He was made vice president of China before ascending to the presidency. And in that phase, he did spend some time abroad. He was really preparing himself, briefing himself for being the leader of China. The two foreign, well, two Western leaders with whom he spent most time were Joe Biden, who was then the vice president of the United States. I told Vice President Xi his visit to Iowa tomorrow will assure him more delegates than I got the last time I was there. <laughs> and our very own Kevin Rudd. A true friend who is one who can be called a Jungyo. That is, a partner who can see beyond immediate benefit to the broader and firm basis for continuing profound and sincere friendship. In other words, Those two leaders both declared that Xi Jinping was a man that we could work with, a man that we could do business with. Now, of course, they both turned out to be completely wrong. Chinese President Xi Jinping has warned any attempts to split the country will lead to, quote, bodies smashed and bones ground to powder. They confirm a three-year campaign against ethnic minorities, corralling up to one million people in the country's west into prisons and internment camps. They link President Xi Jinping to the campaign through speeches he made in 2014, calling for absolutely no mercy in the crackdown. The scale of the brutality being organised by the Chinese Communist Party is um, frankly astounding. Xi Jinping has surprised, shocked and dismayed in varying measure. World leaders, some of the people in his own country and his own party, as well as impressing many, of course, which is why he managed to get away with making himself ruler for life, as he's often called. The most dramatic political change in China in decades, a vote to scrap term limits for China's president. Put in place in the 1980s, now history. The move clears the way for Xi Jinping to stay in power indefinitely and possibly for life. And how is Xi positioning himself and his vision for China differently to those leaders that came before him? In his own words, he's said he wants the China dream, which is the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. He said that this will involve the full recovery from what the Chinese have long called their century of humiliation, where the country had been torn apart by the British, the Japanese, the Americans, the other Europeans, that he's going to end that century decisively. He's going to return China to what he describes as being closer to the centre of world affairs and a moderately rich country. 
he says, by the end of 2019, so that's practically upon us. Xi Jinping is all about the assertion and protection of the dominance and power of the Chinese Communist Party exercised through the organs of the state and therefore China itself. Really, it's a mindset that was created during the guerrilla revolutionary war in the civil war when the communists led by Mao were still trying to take power. So it's underground, it's guerrilla, it's paranoid because they're always in the fear of being rubbed out. Even though China today is such a great and powerful state, he still has this mindset that the party must always work to spread its tentacles, enlarge its power, that it must protect its own power by spreading as far and wide as it can across the world until and unless it meets resistance. We'll be right back. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Peter, your quarterly essay is about this dawning realisation of China's influence in Australia. And I wanted to go to one example that you mentioned in the essay, a meeting that you described between Joe Hockey and China's finance minister, Liu Jiwei, which happened in 2013. Yes. (laughs) This was a story that Joe Hockey personally confirmed to me. And it was pretty memorable because he was completely shocked when it happened. Joe had only been the Australian treasurer for two days when he was immediately sent off to represent Australia at a finance minister's meeting in Bali. And he was completely amazed and shocked when Lu Jiwei came in to meet him. And he rocked up and he said, so, why won't you let me buy Rio Tinto? (laughs) Uh, because a Chinese state-owned company had tried to buy 15% of it and got bogged down. And then Lou came back with his next bid where he said, look, all I want is to buy 15% of your top 200 listed companies. We just want to buy your stock market. We just want to buy your industrial sector. We just want to buy your economy. Uh, pretty, um, you know, pretty brazen stuff. And Joe, Joe Hockey eventually, after, you know, laughing at the sheer brazenness of it, He said, look, why don't we get on to talk about something more meaningful? What do you think Hockey took away from that? What did he say his impressions were after that meeting? Well, he was stunned that it was such a bold and obviously unacceptable bid by another country to do a political deal to buy control of the Australian, you know, corporations, stock market. It would have made the Chinese Communist Party the single biggest and most influential shareholder in the country with a great deal of political influence, influence over the regulators, the whole thing. Second, it was interesting because it showed hockey that despite the Chinese government always saying that, no, our companies are separate to the government, they're independent, the state-owned enterprises make up their own minds, 
He was a Chinese finance minister, not making any distinction. In other words, he fully expected that Chinese companies would do exactly what the government told them to do and buy whatever they were told to buy. Do you think Liu Jiwei was serious? It's hard to know. Hockey seems to think that he was, but it's such an outrageous proposal that I think there's a fairly good chance that he wasn't, in which case, what was he trying to achieve? And I suspect that he was trying to intimidate him a bit, to awe him with his personal power and China's might. Hmm. The other example I wanted to talk to you about was, I think also tells us something different, but, but similar about the influence of the CCP on Australian politics. And it's the anecdote that you report involving Stephen Conroy. Yes. At this point, this is June 2016, a couple of weeks out from the federal election. At this point, Labor was in opposition federally, and Stephen Conroy was the shadow defence minister. Uh, He'd given a speech, a position at the National Press Club. The ongoing campaign in the South China Sea, which has over now two or three years seen oil rigs towed into other countries' waters, uh, fishing zones declared uh, unilaterally, absurd building of artificial islands on top of submerged reefs. Setting out a pretty firm Australian position if Labor were to win power in the South China Sea. Really clear. To those who've been doing it, it is unhelpful. It's destabilising the region. And he took a phone call from a member of his own party, General Secretary of the New South Wales Labor Party, Kayla Murnane. Kayla said, Steve, if you don't change your China position... We are going to lose $400,000 in a promised political donation. Uh, he turned down the, um, <laughs> the proposition, but he was shocked and went around and told quite a number of his Labor colleagues about what was going on. And we learned later from the proceedings in the New South Wales ICAC, Independent Commission Against Corruption, that the wannabe donor was Hung Jimin, who is the guy who's since had his Australian permanent residency cancelled for being of bad character. He was the same guy who was the benefactor of Sam Dastiari, the Labor senator who was drummed out of the Senate because of his conduct over China-related questions and his relationship with Huang. I know there are many things we could extrapolate out of this example, but surely one of them has to be how cheap Australian politics and political influence can be. Bingo. It's exactly right. So $400,000 is enough for a Labor Party official to try to get the party to change its national defence policy. Yet for Huang, it's nothing. We know from leaked Crown Casino uh, internal emails that this same guy, Huang Jimo, in a single year bet $800 million on the gaming tables of Crown Casinos Melbourne. $800 million was his play money in one year at one casino alone. So $400,000 or even the $100,000 that the ICAC heard he'd given in a plastic Aldi shopping bag to try and buy off the uh, local party. Loose change. Absolute, absolute, I mean, you know, it's parking meter change. So, Peter, we know what Xi does want, but we also have some information about what he doesn't want for China through the leak of a document called Document Number 9, which happened in 2013. Yes, so Xi's own regime issued a set of uh, instructions which has become famous Document number nine is now known as the seven taboos or the seven unmentionables, which run through the seven attributes that Xi Jinping said we need to make an intense struggle to wipe them out. He went to the heart of every value that makes a liberal democracy work 
and said that they were all taboo. Civil society is taboo because it may threaten the power of the party. Uh, Universal values forbidden. The only rights recognised are the collective rights of the people as represented and operated by the Chinese Communist Party. Western constitutional democracy is the very first taboo in his list of seven. And of course, you know, that includes things like an independent judiciary. But China doesn't have one. The party controls the court system as well as everything else. And he doesn't think anybody else really is very smart to have one either. There's no such thing as independent journalism allowed. And you're not allowed to challenge or criticise the party's history. He calls criticism of the party's history, uh, even things like the madness of the Cultural Revolution or the disastrous Great Leap Forward, which killed tens of millions. But he said that any criticism of that is historical nihilism. That's banned too. So, Peter, knowing what we do about the Chinese Communist Party's aspirations, what can we see of them manifesting in Australia? Well, you see it in a, a range of ways. You see it in the warnings from the national security agencies. In fact, in this essay, I quote the former head of ASIO, Duncan Lewis, saying that China is attempting an infiltration of our political system and our communities and the Chinese diaspora that would allow it to, quote, pull the strings from offshore to control Australia from afar. And the only way he'd realise is he'd wake up one day and find decisions being made by your government that are not in your national interests. So I want to be distinct. We're not talking about the Chinese people. We're talking about the, the Chinese Communist Party as a political movement to spread its influence and achieve its ambitions through operating through the Chinese diaspora around the world. And we see that turning up in many different ways in Australia as well. And having written this essay, what is the image of the CCP that you walk away with? Well, John Howard himself said it just a few weeks ago. He said that the China we deal with today is not the China of even 10 years ago. And that's partly because it's just the sheer scale and power of the thing. The Chinese economy today is bigger than the entire European Union and Japan put together. And its ambitiousness under Xi Jinping, you know, strive to achieve. We're going to assert the party's dominance around the world as far as we can. But that's at the centre and the heart of Xi Jinping's project is to assert the untrammeled power of the party across China, but also across any part of the world where it can assert power and influence. This is the problem and the dilemma for Australia. The lesson really above and beyond all of that is that we can, and in fact, if we value our liberties, should shape our engagement with China and not allow China to do all the shaping. Peter, thank you so much for speaking with us. Pleasure, Elizabeth. The City of London in Andrew Hagen's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. 
Elsewhere in the news, the Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has indicated that the Australian Credential Regulation Authority has the power to disqualify boards and board directors and may act against the Westpac board after the bank breached its legal obligations more than 23 million times. Westpac has been implicated in a failure to report transactions that include apparent funding of child exploitation, although the bank has stated its confidence in the board. And government agencies are considering an asylum application for Wang William Li Chang, who says he was working in Australia as a spy for the Chinese government. Mr Wang has provided a sworn statement to ASIO detailing various forms of espionage being conducted in Australia and naming other senior undercover operatives in the region. He fears he may be killed if he returns to China. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. See you Tuesday.